Yeah, we had a um, we had a fantastic time at uh, at camp. Um, it was great to see. We had 67 uh, young people there. Um, it was probably the it was probably the best bunch of young people we've had there that I've seen. They were they were all really really well behaved, except for one of the leaders uh, and her cabin. They decided to raid a bathroom in the middle of the night, but that was okay. It was okay. It was all in fun and. They cleaned it up as well, so that was really, really good. And um, but yeah, as, as I said, four people gave their lives to the Lord. Um, one of the things that was so exciting about it, um, you know, they they shared brief testimonies at the end of of uh, I think it was the last service. And um, as they got up to uh, uh, one of the young men, Brandon, as he got up to um, to just say that he's he was saved on Wednesday night, you can hear tears. Uh, behind us, and, uh, and they just, you know, a person just walked out, couldn't control. You have tears of joy when uh, when someone is saved, and it's just, um, and he couldn't understand it. I'd spoken to him about it, and I'd, I'd said to him, you know, he goes, I don't, know, what, why do they cry? I said, mate, if you only understood, your eternity has been completely changed, and um, and it's just, uh, it was really incredible, really incredible. So it was a, it was a wonderful blessing. Anyway, let's um, let's open a word of prayer and we'll get into our study for this morning and see what the Lord would have of us. Father, we thank you, dear Lord, so much for the word of God. We thank you for its wonderful truths. We thank you, dear Lord, that we can understand and know things, dear Lord, that we've never been able to understand before. We thank you, dear Father, that explains answers to questions, dear Lord, that... Uh, that we struggle with on a day-to-day basis, things, dear Lord, that we often don't even want to think of. And yet, Father, it gives us such a joy when we have understanding and it blesses our hearts in every way. Pray, dear Lord, that you would be with me this morning. Let the words that come from this pulpit, dear Lord, be guided and be um, surrounded by your grace and your love and your wisdom, Father as it comes from your word, dear Lord, as we trust the truth of Scripture, dear Father, to change our hearts and our lives and that we may be forever changed. And we praise you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. You guys hear me okay at the back? Okay, good. Good. Um, If you didn't respond, I would know that you can't hear me, so that's good. All right, we've been going through the book of Romans and uh, we're going to be continuing our walk through the through the scriptures of Romans. Um, if you could please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five. I'm a, I'm a bit a bit of a history buff. I, I love how things begin. You know, I, I love looking at something where it is today, and then I'd love to know how it all started. How things all started always gives me a little bit of a, a thrill because it helps me it helps me with my understanding. I understand things a lot better when I know how they began. You know, um, there's consequences to things in history, and we see that. We see a lot of consequences to decisions that are made in history. Um, um, you know, types of regimes, types of ideologies. Um, you know, why did this happen? Well, this happened because. A decision was made way back when, um, and this is going to be speaking about the beginning of a beginning. We'll just read the text. We're going to read from Romans chapter five, 
verse 12 to the end of the chapter. Read with me. It says, um, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offence, so also is the free gift. For if through the offence of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offences unto justification. For if by one man's offence death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as the offence of one as by the offence of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. A pretty incredible passage of scripture. And it's a passage of scripture that's put right at the end of probably the greatest exposition of the gospel we can find in the Bible. The first five chapters of Romans lay out the gospel and it lays it out so well with so much depth, so much inf information, speaks about our ruin, speaks about our state, speaks about our progress from where we should know God and understand who God is to the point of depravity where we refuse him, reject him, and as a, as a result of that, our lives become, well, a picture of a godless life. And here, though, a few sermons ago, I, 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 I worked solidly on the very first word of this chapter, the word, the word therefore. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. That word therefore, that conjunction, I spent a whole time, whole time just focused on that one word, why it's there, why it's so important that it's there, why it's probably the most important conjunction in the Bible, being right at that particular point. In this passage that we're going to be going through, we've got another conjunction that it starts off with, and the words, wherefore. What's the difference between wherefore and therefore? Really good question. You know, it's got to be there for a reason, but why is it there? What does it mean? What does wherefore mean? It's really interesting because a lot of people think wherefore means therefore. It doesn't mean therefore. If it meant therefore, it wouldn't be wherefore. So what is wherefore? You know, people have heard the old, um, uh, you know, the Shakespeare play with, with Juliet, and she's on the balcony and she says... Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou Romeo? And everybody thinks she's looking for Romeo. Yeah? Where are you? Where, wherefore art thou Romeo? Where are you? That's not what it means. Wherefore, when she's speaking it, she's asking, why 
are you, Romeo? Because she speaks about the name. She says, deny thy father and refuse thy name. Or if thou wilt not, but be sworn my love, and I'll no longer be a Capulet. She's speaking about his name. Why are you Romeo? Of all the people in the world that I'm to fall in love with, why you? You're the enemy of my father. You know, why are you Romeo? And that's why she goes on and speaks about a, a rose. Would it, if it wasn't a rose, if it was by any other name, wouldn't it smell as sweet? You know, why are you Romeo? So the word wherefore can mean why. There's a context. In this particular passage, it's actually an explanatory note. You'll note that we're going through ten verses this morning. Five of those verses are in parentheses, you'll see. Okay, so we've got them from verse 13. So straight after verse 12, you've got the rest of... Well, the next five verses are in parentheses. There's an explanation being put there. Everything that goes before it, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it explains and moves on from there. Stops at wherefore. In context there, it actually means why therefore. Why therefore. It's giving you an answer to what's gone before it. An explanation. It doesn't need to be there, in effect. But it's giving you an incredible explanation. First point. Okay, so the, the, the message is entitled, How One Man Changed It All. First point. By one, by one sin entered and death reigned. Verses 12 to 14. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world... And death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. This is what's known as original sin. It's a theological term. You've heard it used before. You've heard of people denying original sin. Uh, they, they, they give you the impression that it's something other than what it actually is. It's speaking about the very first sin that came into the world. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis, Genesis chapter 2. We'll go right at the beginning and we'll actually see the event unfold. It speaks also that it's not after the similitude of Adam's transgression. The reason for that is that there was a law, there was a commandment that God had actually given to Adam. So chapter 2, verse 16. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. You have the beginning of two things that occurred in the very next chapter. In the very next chapter, we, we know the story. We, we've heard of the serpent that's beguiled Eve, that, that deceived her. And we see that both her and Adam partook of the fruit. They did eat. And the Bible says that they shall surely die. At that point, their lives would A, begin to deteriorate and physically die. They didn't die in the physical sense at that very, very point. But certainly in a spiritual sense, there was an incredible separation between God and man. Death, um, you've experienced somebody in your life dying, someone that's close to you, and I'm sure there'd be very few of us here that haven't experienced that before. 
it's it's pretty unnatural, and it doesn't seem real, you know. Like you find it so difficult to to see how this person who's here was before me, and and they had they were they were alive. You know, there was breath, there was sight, there was there was there was something so real about that person at that point, and now there's nothing. It just seems unnatural. It doesn't seem right, you know. And even when we look at evil that's going on in the world, we know instinctively it doesn't seem right. There's something wrong about evil. Why is that so unnatural? And yet everyone dies. In all our experience that we've had for all our life, we know that people live, they grow old and they die. Some people live and they don't grow old and yet die. But we know that it's something that actually occurs. We see it, 100% of people die. 100% 100% of them. Mine is a very, 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 very small percentage. But they all die. This, is, this seems unnatural. Why is it that people who even don't know God recognise evil exists? Where do they get the whole concept of evil? And they need to measure it against the good, but if everything is here by a freak accident, then there is no such thing as good or evil. It doesn't exist. There's no, there's no depravity there at all. Yet you've got religions that believe that evil and, and death is all part of eternity. It all coexists with eternity. You, know, you see some of the symbols floating around of a coexistence of good and evil, and there is a, a balance that we need to ensure that we have. Well, there's no balance to death, friends. There's no balance to death. Death continues on, and there seems to be no end of it. But the Bible here teaches in Genesis chapter 2 that there was a beginning of it, that it began, that there was a time that evil was not. There was a time that death was not. It didn't exist. It didn't happen. But it came into the world. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Death passed upon all men because all have sinned. There's another point here. By one also came condemnation. By another came justification. Have a look at verses 15 to 17. The text there says, But not as the offence, so also is the free gift. For if through the offence of one... The offence of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God. And the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the free gift, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offences unto justification. This last bit here says, For if by one man's offence death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. This whole passage is a contrast between two. It's a whole contrast between two individuals. By one came this, by the other came this. But the contrast isn't necessarily a fair one, though in the beginning we have the sin and the transgression of Adam that led to the death and the sin nature and the condemnation passed on to all people. You have the Lord Jesus Christ who also provides the grace and the free gift 
and righteousness to all people who would believe. There had to be something that would fix this problem. There needed to be something that would fix this problem. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 3, please. John chapter 3. We often read this, this is so familiar to us here in verse 16. The text says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoso believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We often omit the next two verses of the text, which says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The Bible says that by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. We know that through the book of Hebrews, which teaches us really clearly, that it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment in 9.26. But there is a condemnation that's also passed on. There's a condemnation that's passed on directly from Adam to every person that is born after him. And something that we often think of as, um, you know, why, why, why should I be, why should I be condemned because of one person's mistake? Why, why should I, why should I have to bear the consequences of one other person six thousand odd years removed from me? They sinned, and yet I've got to pay for it. I've got a consequence. It's this idea of what's called alien guilt. This idea that someone 6,000 years so far removed from us, how can their condemnation be put on us? How can that be right? How is that fair? Fair enough. I asked the question. I didn't think it was really, really fair. I thought, well, why is that? Well, but the Bible actually says there at the first, in, the, in verse 12, it says, So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And here, it says, For the judgment was by one to condemnation. Then it says, The free gift is of many offences unto justification. We've got a relationship, a direct relationship with Adam. There's a number of different ways of being able to explain it. But you could look at Adam as both a representative head of all of mankind. There's a representation of Adam who represents all all of mankind. He was the first man. There's no indication that he was deceived in Scripture. You go back to that text in Genesis. Just move forward one chapter to Genesis chapter 3. The actual event, the actual event here, it's interesting how it comes from, this deception comes from the serpent. Read from verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Isn't it interesting how the very, very first time Satan speaks, it's with a question. 
And it's an interesting question because it's a question that is not there to encourage. It's a question that's designed to create doubt. It's designed to create doubt. And it's interesting to what it's designed to create. It's designed to create doubt in the Word of God. Satan hasn't stopped his work. He still does that even today. Even today. That same deception that worked so effectively for him when he first spoke is still used today time and time and time again in churches and places all over the place to create doubt in the very words of God. And this is what the woman said to him. The woman said unto the servant, We may eat of the fruit of the, fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Can I ask you a question? Back there in chapter 2, where we read in verse 16, 17, was, that, was Eve around? Was Eve there? But of the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil? No. We know that because verse 18 says, the very next verse says, And the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Eve wasn't present when God had spoken. Where did she get the information from? She got the information from Adam, didn't she? And good, faithful Adam passed on that information to her. But Adam didn't... I'm not sure if Adam mentioned anything about touching the tree. Wouldn't surprise me if he did, to be perfectly honest, because we often like to set little further barricades, you know what I mean? All right, you're not allowed to go here. But just in case you get close enough to touch, go here. All right? Don't go too far. Don't go too close. So don't touch anything. All right, so better don't touch that tree rather than even look at the fruit. And yet, we see something else happening here. It's an interesting, it's an interesting um, phrase that you see. See, in verse 17 of chapter 2, God is speaking directly to Adam. Okay, how do we know he's speaking directly to Adam? Have a look at what it says. It says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... Thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Thou. Who's he speaking to? Only Adam? Yes. He's speaking to him in the singular. That's the beautiful thing about the authorised version. We have both singular and plural pronouns. Thou, anything with a TH, many of you know this, is... Is a, is a singular pronoun, and anything with the, the Y, ye, you, your, is a plural pronoun. There's a distinction here, because here in chapter 3, there's this argument going on. And in verse 4, the serpent says unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Who was the serpent talking to? So if he was just talking to Eve, it'd be unusual to use the plural pronoun. He could be, he could be, possibly, addressing the progeny. He could be addressing not just Eve, but everybody else that comes after Eve. That's possible. That's possible. The argument can stand and it would it would sort of fit. You can understand that. But it's interesting how God actually mentions one and only speaking to one, yet the serpent is speaking to more than one. And have a look at what happened here in verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food 
and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. How often do we hear the beautiful romantic pictures that somehow Adam had noticed there's been a big change in Eve. You know, he was just doing, minding his own business and there was some sort of broken heartedness that he realised that Eve must have taken of the fruit. She had fallen and that he decided in his love for her that he'd take of the fruit as well. The Bible says that Adam was not deceived. Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Could it be something there where Adam was very present with them in the garden? That he also was there. He knew exactly God's command. He knew exactly what God had asked. But he didn't stand up. He didn't A, defend his wife, nor did he speak and correct the words of, of the serpent at that time. Was it perhaps, was it perhaps that he actually desired that fruit? He probably did desire that fruit. It was the tree of knowledge after all. So there was a transgression, there was a fall, and it seems to be, it seems to be deliberate by Adam. A deliberate transgression by him. And now as a result of that, many are sinners. We're born in sin, the Bible says. We've got a, we've got a line that's been passed down through, through the bloodline perhaps, or through heredity directly from Adam through to man. But the Bible also says there in verse 12 that all have sinned. So we all have sinned and we've all transgressed God's commandment. But the text here that we were looking at, not it was by one that sinned, so is the gift in verse 16 of chapter 5. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offences unto justification. There's a free gift. Something's changed. There's been, an, there's been an opportunity that we've got to take hold of. In verse 17 it says, For if by one man's offence death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance, grace, abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Something has changed. There's an opportunity to be justified. No longer do we have to live under that condemnation that, that Adam has procured for us and that we ourselves have transgressed in, that we've also taken part of. Now we have an opportunity to take part of something much more valuable. Much more valuable. Fourth point. By one are many sinners. By another are many righteous. Verse 18 and 19. We've closed the parenthesis of verse 17. Verse 18 says, Therefore, as by the offence of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous fits guys what's incredible about this is that it fits and it fits perfectly well we've got disobedience by one man that's led to the condemnation of all people that have come after him but here we have 
God bringing forth his own son that's made a way that man does not have to stay condemned. There's something incredible with regards to to death. We understand that death seals our fate. We are given we are given the opportunity to die. It sounds strange, but there's a very big difference between what happened to the angels that fell and what's happened to man. You see, when the angels that fell, they were already immortal. They were already in a, in a perfectly immortal state. They made a purposeful decision, the angels that fell, they made a purposeful decision to separate themselves from God. That is something that can never change now. For them, they are just waiting for the time where God will actually throw them into the lake of fire. They are waiting for the time. They know that it's not yet, because they know that there are things that are yet to come, but they are abiding their time, and when the time comes, they are going to create havoc on earth, and after which they will be thrown into the lake of fire. But they were immortal from the beginning. God had ensured that man would die. But before he dies, he has his entire life to be redeemed. This is his mercy, his love, his grace. Sorry, just back on to chapter 3 of Genesis again. Keep looking back there because there's an importance there that there's so many things that have happened there. He says in verse 22 of chapter 3, in verse 22, the Lord speaking says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. There's a colon there. It's almost like the thought hasn't been completed. And, and usually at the end of a colon, the, the, the next part of the sentence would, would, would usually work towards speaking to what just went before it on the other side of the colon, but it doesn't continue. It's almost the very thought of mankind living in an unregenerate state apart from God for all eternity is so terrible in God's mind that it couldn't even bear the placement in Scripture at the very least. Because you see, if man could not die to enter eternity, then man must remain unregenerate in sin for all eternity. See, in a way, death became a blessing. Even though it was a curse, even though it came directly from sin, in a strange way, in a strange twist, it's actually become a blessing. Because now we have all our lives to come to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for people who suffer with cancer, and it breaks your heart. We pray for them, and we, we hope and pray that these people would be, would be healed from what they're going to go through, because we know that once you're struck with cancer, there's a good chance you're going to die. There's a strong chance you're going to die. But you know what? It seems to be events like that that wake us up. It seems to be something like that, a terminal disease of some kind that all of a sudden makes almost every single person think about eternal things. What now? What's next for my life? What's next? 
So cancer isn't necessarily a curse either. It has opportunity to be a blessing. We pray for the people that are struggling with it. But we also pray that during this time, maybe their eyes might be opened. Maybe God has given us abundant mercy even now that we might be saved, that they might be saved. We have our entire lives to accept that free gift that the Lord's given us, our entire lives. The only thing is we don't know how long that life's going to last. And I would ask you, why wait? Why wait? Why wait till the end of your life? What makes you think that you'll have an opportunity? Why do you think you would have an opportunity to accept the free gift that God has given you? Why would you wait until the end of your life? When we have an abundance of life here and an abundance of hope and joy. And it's something that you can now share with people around you because you've partaken of that gift that God's given you through grace. Fifth point, where sin reigned unto death, grace reigned to eternal life. Verse 20. The text says here, Moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life, by Jesus Christ our Lord. Moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound. I made an error a number of years ago when I first started preaching on Romans. And it was, a, it was an error passed on by another godly preacher. He was a good preacher, but I listened to what he said and, and it was a mistake. It was wrong. The law didn't enter that sin would abound. Right? That was my error. I actually said that um, the law was given us and the very fact that the law came into the world, sin abounded. Right? The text doesn't say that. It actually says that the offence might abound. And where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. It's the offence of sin. See, back, back where we looked at verse 13... It says, for until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. And an interesting text. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Somehow sin isn't imputed when there is no law. If there isn't a law written, thou shalt keep off the grass, then there is no offence when you stand on the grass, is there? But when the law is written, then standing on the grass becomes an offence. Okay, because you've done what? You've broken the law. That's, that's the same thought here. So moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound. In chapter 7, verse 13, it says, Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might be exceeding sinful. When God gave the commandment of such and such being a sin and being against his nature, against his law, against his word, then that sin became exceeding sinful. It became that which is an abomination in God's mind and eyes. It's not that which lines up with him, with his character. But here we have an opportunity. 
to partake of God's wondrous hope. It says in verse 20, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And much more, it's the second time it actually turns up in the text of Scripture, of this, in this portion. Grace did much more abound. The contrast there in verse 21, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Guys, everything with respect to sin is temporal. Everything with respect to death is temporal. It happens, we die, and then we enter into judgment. But what Jesus Christ has done, that he's secured grace through his death on the cross and what he's done abounds much more that we have now from this point eternal life. That grace that God's given us gives us a hope and a joy that is beyond anything that we can understand. We rejoice in what God's given us through his grace. Through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ. When you look at the gospel going through from the beginning of Romans to now, you have an opportunity to share that faith, to share that hope and that joy to people. It's something that we need to do. If we've secured that, if we've rejoiced in that, if that's been our blessing, then share that to people. If that's not you, then you continually stay in the condemnation that has gone on from Adam until now. But if you've secured that grace and that hope through the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're saved. You're saved. You know, the day that you were saved, the day that you gave your life to the Lord, right, it wasn't just people that were weeping for you. It wasn't just people that were weeping for you. The Bible says that the angels rejoice over one sinner that repents. You know, eternity can be changed. Your eternity can be changed. And you have the wonderful privilege, the wonderful privilege of taking part in sharing and changing another person's forever. Everything's explained here from when sin came into the world, but also that we can have eternal hope through our Lord Jesus Christ. You've got a message, guys, that you can pass on to people. Don't wait for a camp. Don't wait for a... Yeah, it's funny, you know, I was talking to Miriam about this when we were at camp. It's such a struggle to go to camp. We think about all the things that we've got to do and think, oh, you know, wrong time of the year. I mean, we got to really would have liked to have gone on a holiday, but we can't now because we've got to go to camp, you know. And, you know, it's the same thing when it comes to coming to church, you know. It's a real struggle sometimes to come to church. I know people that struggle. I know when Maria and I were first saved, coming to church was a real chore. It was usually when we had the bulk of our arguments. So we wouldn't have an argument all week and then Sunday morning would come and bang, you know, why didn't we have this? Oh, I'd rather stay home today. You know, let's not go to church. I don't feel holy enough, you know. You know, you're laughing because you go through the same thing. You know what I'm talking about. And yet when you come, when you come and you're, and you're sitting there with believers and you're sitting there with those that know God, it becomes a blessing. You know, you rejoice in it. It was the same at camp. We rejoiced absolutely rejoiced at being there and you don't want it to end you know though this week was rather hot never mind we had a pool so it was okay it was all good there was relief in sight but the point is you know we go through these difficulties and you can't 
you can't deny that Satan doesn't have a hand in this and also our flesh, you know. When you think that you shouldn't be going, go. When you think that you shouldn't be coming to church, come. Who knows? You might hear something that will change your life. You know, it's okay for us as Christians. Our eternity is secure. We've got our eternity nailed down shut. It's great. It's so incredible to know that the worst thing that can happen to us becomes the best thing that can happen to us. But there's something else that happens as well. You can hear something. You can learn something that will change your walk, that you can walk with joy. With joy. No matter how hard things are, no matter how difficult things are, that you can walk your life with joy. And if you have that opportunity to share the gospel, as Pastor Frank was mentioning before, there's no greater adrenaline rush. Why is it an adrenaline rush? Why is it such a buzz to share the gospel with somebody? Whether or not they actually came to the Lord, whether or not they actually were born again, whether or not they were saved. It's an adrenaline rush because you know what? That's what you're here to do. As Christians, we're here to share the word of God to people that they might be saved. And, and mate, if you are privileged, privileged to see someone's eyes go from darkness to light, oh, you, you've witnessed something that very, very few people witness. You know, very few people witness. Something clicks and they get it. And all of a sudden their eternity's changed. You know, we had a couple of people at camp that um, didn't get saved right there. They didn't get saved. But they were counting the cost. They were counting the cost. They understood that things would change. They didn't quite believe and trust that the change is absolutely for the better. Absolutely for the better. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. It always works out for the better. Always. But it means we have to give away that nature, that old nature, that Adamic nature, that one that actually came through the transgression of one that was passed down through to us, that we actually take part in. And mind you, we take part in that transgression consciously. We do it consciously. You still struggle as a Christian. You do. You do. You do burdens you more than anything else. But to know the joy that Jesus Christ has secured something much more than we could ever hope for, that we could ever rejoice in anything greater than what he has done, nothing compares to it. Nothing compares. Share the word of God and be preachers of righteousness. Noah did it for 120 years. 120 years, preacher of righteousness. A lot of converts? Successful ministry? Yeah, successful ministry. He did exactly what God had commanded him. He did exactly. Nothing more, nothing less. He built an ark, preached righteousness to a world gone mad. Our world's going mad. We can see it all the way around us. Pastor Frank has been preaching through the Olivet Discourse. It's difficult to get through that. Okay, It is. Guys, it's, it's hard because there's, there's, some, there's some terrible times coming. We can see it. I know that it's not necessarily good news going through and listening to that stuff. But we know the end. We know the end. I long to see my Lord sit on that throne. And I long to see a thousand years of blessing. 
and hope and joy and opportunity to share the word of God to more and more people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for its wonderful, simple truth. We thank you that it can change our lives and change our hearts. And Father, though there is so much there, dear Lord, that we don't understand, we know this, that you have secured a way of salvation, that it's through you and only through you. Just as sin came in by one man, so righteousness and peace can only come in by one, our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, dear Father, pray for those that are weighing the cost, and I ask you, dear Lord, that you would continue to prick their hearts. Pray for those, dear Lord, who may be deceived, even of their own salvation, and that you may indeed, Father, do your work of salvation within their own heart, that they may know the truth, and they may come, dear Lord, to you, to know the joy and the wonderful privilege there is in our Lord and our Saviour, Jesus Christ, and forever be changed. We thank you in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' name, amen.